0: So yeah, so you're joining us, if, you, if there's visitors here, and I know there's some here today, you're joining us sort of in the middle of a series. We began the summer series talking about Jesus, and uh, it's a very, pretty basic topic for a church to go into to talk about Jesus, and we spent two Sundays looking at the anticipation of Jesus, just to recap, and the first sort of look at the anticipation of Jesus, looking back in the Old Testament, was to understand uh, the seriousness of the situation that we're in, and we looked at Noah and the flood, and and uh the uh the turning away from god that took place by mankind turning their backs on god and and uh, the whole world basically rejecting god except for noah and god uh, rightfully and justly desiring essentially to uh punish the sin that was in place in the world and to start over again and then the promise that came the anticip- so just the anticipation came of the seriousness of the situation that we're in and the example I used was like in a movie, that uh, you know at the beginning of the movie, the situation always gets worse before it gets better, and that builds anticipation for the hero who is to come. And that's true of the story of humanity, that we are in dire circumstances, that we are in dire need of redemption, that we are in dire need of saving, and so we look forward in anticipation to that redemption and to that saving. And then the second part, we talked about anticipation. Uh, another way that the Old Testament anticipated the coming of Jesus was in all the foreshadowing of the Redeemer who was to come. And we looked at the history of Israel and the events that took place in the desert, and we looked at the law, and we looked at the people and the prophecies of the Old Testament and how at every stage through the Old Testament, God was always telling the same story. He was telling the story of Jesus he was repeating the story of jesus the redeemer over and over and over again whether it was J- joseph uh, who went down into the grave of the pit and into prison and then was uh, lifted up and then became the savior of egypt and of his own family uh, or whether you look at uh, boaz uh, the man the righteous man who is willing to meet all the requirements of the law and to pay uh, the perfect price in order to redeem uh, ruth um, or you look at Uh, the law and you look at the Passover lamb and the sacrifices and how Jesus would come to be the perfect Passover lamb. And, uh, you know, we just, we looked at all these different things and how all through the Old Testament it is anticipation, anticipation, anticipation of a Redeemer to come. And then last week we finally got to incarnation and if you weren't at the church in the park, you missed out on a great service. We were out with all our other brothers and sisters in the town at the church in the park and we looked at the uh, first part of the incarnation which was uh, how are we sent the way that Jesus is sent uh, the word says Jesus told his disciples that just as the father sent me so I am sending you and so we looked at what the incarnation then what Jesus coming in the flesh as the father sent him meant for us to go in love to the others and that was the first part of incarnation but today I just want to back up a little bit and ask a very simple question about the incarnation which is just this which is, why did Jesus have to come at all? Like, why God in the flesh at all? Why was that the plan? Why, why would, would God leave heaven and enter into a sinful world? And sometimes, especially as Christians, we don't really think about that because Jesus is just a Jesus and the incarnation and all of that. And we don't, we don't ever stop to think, well, well why was that the plan? Why, why did he come in the flesh? Why, why leave heaven as God and, and come into our world why a baby in a manger you know why dirty diapers and hunger pains and sunburn and bee stings like why would god put himself through you know scraped knees and having to sit through school you know memorizing hebrew grammar and uh you know learning aramaic and and getting pushed down by bullies at recess like why why come in the flesh and, and do all of that why why doing dishes and sweeping floors and stacking wood and working in a carpentry shop with his dad and you know getting bang thumbs and splinters and a sore back at the end of a long day like like all of us go through You know, why ultimately, most importantly, why the mockery and why the rejection and why the false accusations and why the beatings and and why the shameful death on a criminal's cross for God? Why? Why come in the flesh and go through that whole thing as God? Why did God, who is perfectly complete, who is perfect in love, who is in fully satisfied and in unity with the Father of Son and Holy Spirit from eternity past to eternity future have to stoop into our world in the flesh, in the incarnation as Jesus. Why wouldn't God just do something mystical or sacramental or ceremonial like all the other religions in the world seem to think that's how God operates, right? It's all just some sort of, there's a ceremony or there's a sacrament or there's a ritual and and God doesn't mess around with the world. God's up in heaven and God's bigger than all of this. He doesn't come down to us. We just sort of relate to him in ceremony and, and sort of through rituals. Why, why wouldn't God even just leave the law in place? God already had the law, and He had ceremonies, and He had rituals. Why didn't He just leave that as sort of a ritualistic, substitutional way of relating to Him? We just, we keep boiling down to, why Jesus? Why God in the flesh here on earth? Why did He do that? Well, there's actually, there's actually 40 or 50 really solid theological answers to that question. And we're not going to do them all this morning, but, but if we wanted to, if I, if I wanted to sort of transition to why God in the flesh, we could, we could easily talk about it in the context of our last two or three sermons, right? As we built up sort of anticipation for the incarnation, we could talk about it within the the context of our last sermons. We could, we could talk about Jesus and God coming in the flesh in order to defeat Satan. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of Adam and Eve, Eve was promised that one of her offspring would crush the head of the serpent even as the serpent strikes at his heel. And so there is a promise there of Satan to be defeated and that there would have to be an offspring of Eve, an offspring of humanity that would ultimately crush our enemy. And so we could say that Jesus had to come in the flesh to accomplish that, to accomplish the defeat of Satan and ultimately the defeat of death in his resurrection after the cross. Or we could say that, that he came to be a blessing to the nations because God, as that promise continued, and that promise continued to be expanded and fulfilled through the offspring of Eve and then through Abraham and his offspring, God told Abraham that his offspring would ultimately bless all the nations of the world. And so there needed to be an offspring that would come from the line of Abraham and ultimately from the line of David that would be a blessing to the whole world. And so God came in the form of Jesus in the flesh as the offspring of Abraham in order to bless all the nations of the world. And, and we've seen that happen. We've seen from this one man, this one person, Jesus and his little band of 12 disciples uh, in Jerusalem, um, in Israel 2000 years ago, we've seen his message of love and his uh, Teaching of who God is and His revelation of God, of Himself as God, spread to all the nations. We've seen Christianity spread around the world from that one tiny start 2,000 years ago. And so Jesus came to accomplish that promise that He would ultimately bless all the nations. And we see that as literally almost every nation and tribe and language has had an encounter with the Gospel. Not quite yet, but almost. We're getting there. Or we could say if we continue forward to be our our jesus had to come in the flesh to be our perfect and complete sacrifice and we saw that in our first sermon from genesis 11 with the flood and after the flood uh noah comes out of the ark and he makes a sacrifice of every clean animal every clean animal it was a complete sacrifice and it was a perfect sacrifice and we saw that after that perfect and complete sacrifice then God poured out His blessing and His promise upon the people. And so we have Jesus coming in the flesh to be that perfect and complete sacrifice to allow a new covenant with God, just as God made covenant with Noah. And so He had to come in the flesh for that reason. Or to bear the guilt of our sin, as we saw pictured in the law of God, and the Passover lamb and the scapegoat that is sent out into the wilderness after the sins of the people are put on it. We have to understand that when the law is broken then justice demands payment. You can't break a law and not have it paid for, or there wouldn't be justice. And our God is a loving God, but He's also a just God. And so when the law of God is broken, when when even we break our own laws, let alone God's law, there needs to be justice. And so we could say that Jesus had to come in order to bear the guilt of our sin and to justify us before the law of God. Right When you break the law, you're in danger of the consequences. You're in danger of getting what you deserve. And so Jesus came in order to justify us before God's perfect law so that we don't get what we deserve. Jesus takes all of the punishment that we deserve, He takes it on Himself, fulfilling the law and fulfilling all the demands of the law, allowing us To be free in our relationship with God. So we could talk about Jesus coming in the flesh in that way. Or to cleanse us of our sin as we need to be washed of our unrighteousness. A holy God and a perfect God cannot allow unrighteousness into His presence or He would no longer be holy. And so Jesus has come to sanctify us and to cleanse us. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent and all, serpent, the bronze serpent in the wilderness and all those who looked upon the serpent were made clean and we have Jesus lifted up on the cross and all that behold Jesus are made clean. And so there's all these ways that we can talk about why Jesus had to come in the flesh that are all connected to all the anticipation that we went through. you know, To meet all the requirements of the law. Jesus came to meet all the requirements of the law and to redeem us as our kinsman redeemer just as Boaz did for Ruth. Or to bring life just as Joseph did, the grain for the nations that he stored. Or as manna, he says he was the manna, the bread of life that came down from heaven. Or he was the rock that was struck and the living water flew out of it. And, uh, you know, or to be an example, as we talked about last week, that he was sent for us and sends us to be sent. And so he's an example for us to imitate or to show us the father, which is maybe the closest to my my topic today. But there's there's all these reasons that you can go through and you can say we understand why Jesus had to come in the flesh. But I take all of those things and I, I want you to think about all those things. That's why I went through them. So I want you to remember them or to think about them. And which ones might stick with you about why Jesus had to come in the flesh. But the main thing that I want to say today, it's not too complicated, of why Jesus had to come is that He came in the flesh into our world was actually to get rid of religion and to establish for all humanity and for you and me a new kind of relationship with God that's a personal relationship. Jesus, God, had to come in the flesh literally to make it personal to make it real to make it what we have today and i mean that christianity uh, because of jesus is unique among all the world religions i mean that that and i mean that in the strongest sense of the world unique that in christianity you don't have anything like anything else in the world in terms of a religion you know in part because of the very brief overview I just gave you of the reasons why the mighty and holy and pure and just and righteous eternal God of the universe had to humble Himself into be human flesh, into the person of Jesus. I mean, that's different than all the other religions. But even more importantly, because of the Gospel, the Gospel is the good news of what Jesus accomplished in our flesh that no other religion, no other worldview, no other uh, philosophy or religion can really lay claim to or even understand of what was going on when God became flesh. The Gospel of Jesus and the message of forgiveness through the work of Jesus is unique, and it's incomparable with other religious beliefs. Christianity cannot mix or blend with other religious systems. It's not sacramentalism. It's not religion that's focused around sacred or ritual keeping. It doesn't mix with animism or spiritism or shamanism, which are those, those religions that try to manipulate the supernatural forces by magic or by ceremony. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't connect with the Jehovah Witness or the Hare Krishna or the Baha'i or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. You can't mix the gospel of what Jesus did even with Judaism. Because what Jesus did in the gospel of Christianity is different even than the law of God. It just doesn't mix with any other religion. Because the gospel is not about religion. It's about a personal relationship. And the reason that Jesus came in the flesh was to make it personal. To be Christian is to be saved by the Gospel. And is to be released from all and set free from all the other religious systems and all those other religious duties and all that ceremony and all that that scorekeeping and all that uh, trying to earn salvation by works. Or to phrase it another way, as many of our church fathers and historical preachers and modern commentators have pointed out for the last 2,000 years really since Jesus came, and it's still true, there's really only two kinds of religion. There's religions of human merit, which are paganism and humanism and animism and all those ones I talked about. They all fall into the category of religions of human merit and they focus on what people must do in order to attain righteousness or to please a deity, to measure up somehow, to be good enough. But biblical Christianity, the Gospel alone, is the religion of divine accomplishment. The other religions say, do this... And Christianity says it's already done in the person of Jesus. Other religions require the devout person supply some sort of merit to atone for their sin or to please the deity or to otherwise attain the goal of acceptability. But the Bible says that Jesus' merit is supplied on behalf of the believing sinner. And that's good news. That's the gospel. We don't measure up. Jesus came to measure up to a standard we could never meet. He came to pay a price we could never pay. It's God's accomplishment that is at the heart of the Gospel, not our attainment. So that's why I say today that when we ask why Jesus has to come in the flesh, He came to make it personal. He came to make it real for you and me, to establish and make possible with us, His creation, a personal relationship with God, our Creator. I'm just going to look at a few verses as we look into that. If you look in John chapter 1, and sorry, I don't have a PowerPoint for you today. Just follow along with your Bibles or on your phone or whatever. Um, Looking in John, Gospel of John chapter 1. And John, the disciple of Jesus, writes, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning." through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind if you move down to verse 14 it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth and out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given for the law was given through moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. And so there's a lot going on in those verses. John's packing a lot in there, but the first thing that the Gospel of John tells us is that the Word is Jesus, and that the Word was with God, and the Word is God. And through the Word, which is another word for Jesus, everything was created. In other words, Jesus is the Creator. And John says He is the Life, and He is the Light, or the Truth, or the Way, and He is that for all mankind. Exclu- In exclusively, for everyone, equally. And then John goes on to say, this Word, this Jesus that was with God and was God and everything was created through Him, He goes on to say that that Word became flesh. That's the incarnation. That's what we use the word incarnation. He became flesh. He became us. And He dwelt with His creation. And out of His fullness, which is to say out of the completeness of His incarnation, fully living as humanity, we receive grace on top of grace. What does He mean? He means we have a new grace on top of the grace that was the law. Moses brought the law and that was grace. Because that the law reconciled God to man in its way. As long as there was the high priest and there was the sacrifice and the blood and the atoning for sin, there was grace in the law. But now, John says that there is grace upon grace that has come on top of the grace of the law. And that the grace of the law is now Replaced by the grace of God, by Jesus. That we're now able to know God personally because Jesus is God and He has seen the Father. And as John says, He is in the closest relationship with the Father. And so He has made the Father known to us. That's why I talk about Jesus came to make it personal. So that we can know God. The law is the grace of the past. The law was not personal. The law was impersonal. It accomplished grace, but it was sacrament, and it was ritual, and it was ceremony. Now Jesus has come, and the law is done away with. We have God in the flesh, the creator of everything, and He has come with a new kind of grace, which is that we can know God personally through Him. A new gift that replaces the law. Jesus says it this way when the disciples are asking Him. One of His disciples, Philip, says to Him later on as Jesus is teaching, He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And what does Jesus say to Philip? He says, Jesus... Says to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? The role of Jesus, the reason Jesus came in the flesh was to show the Father to us. Was to show the Father to his followers. That as we come to know Jesus and we come to know the person of Jesus, what we're really coming to know is we're coming to know God. We're coming to know God's heart for us as our creator and our father. And so Jesus is clear. He says, I am the image of the Father. I've come that you can know me and know the Father. And I've come to make this personal. It's not a law. It's not ritual. It's not sacrifice. It's not ceremony. It's not a religion. It's not a set of rules that can get messed up and twisted the way actually you guys have done a good job messing up the law that I gave you. Uh, it's not that anymore. That wasn't working. It's just a relationship where you get to know how great God's love is for you and what I have come from heaven to do for you. And in case there's any doubt about how personal Jesus wants to make this, as He's speaking to His his fellow countrymen, He says this to a crowd that He is teaching, and it's interesting to see their response. Like Jesus is not letting us squirm away from this. He came to make this real personal. He says to them in John 6, He said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to Me will not hunger. And he who believes in Me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen Me, and yet you do not believe." All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that all that He has given to me I lose nothing, but I raise them up on the last day. And for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus says to these people, He says, I'm the bread of life. I am life. If you believe in me, I'll never cast you out, but I will raise you up on the last day and you will have eternal life, but I I see you don't believe. And this is why Christianity is incompatible with every other religion, even Judaism, even these Jews that he's talking to, his fellow countrymen who have the law. and, And this is not compatible with them. Even they can't deal with how personal this is because look how they respond. It says, therefore, the Jews were grumbling about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They know that He's claiming to be God. And you know what else they know? They know that He is claiming to replace the law because He's saying life with God no longer comes through the law. Life with God now comes through me. You have to have a personal relationship with me. You have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood Not literally, but Jesus is saying, you have to partake of Me. You have to have the most intimate friendship with Me in order to have life. And the people, the Jews, his fellow countrymen who had the law and saw that that, that He was replacing the law with Himself, they just walked away from Him. They couldn't take it. It says later on, He says, as a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. And so Jesus said to the twelve, His closest disciples, He said, do you want to go away also? All these others have gone away. What about you twelve? He said "Do you want to go away also do you and Simon Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God and so Jesus has come to make this personal and it's uncomfortably personal right like this is you know you have those close talkers you go to have a conversation with them and they're standing just a little bit too close and you're kind of trying to back up a little bit and they keep moving closer as you talk That's the person of Jesus. Jesus wants this to be uncomfortably personal. He has come to make this awkward. Because if you don't have a friendship with Him, if you don't have an understanding of who He is, and that He has come from heaven to fulfill everything that you cannot do to repair your relationship with God, then you cannot have the eternal life that He promises. And what do I mean when I say he's getting up close and personal? We can just go through some quick examples of his ministry. The woman at the well in John 4, right? Jesus is traveling and he's thirsty and, and hungry and he stops at a well and there's a Samaritan woman there and they start talking and you're thinking, oh, I met a stranger at a well, you know, we'll just make small talk. How about those Jays, right? Like nine in a row now and catching up to first place, you know? And Jesus instead, you know, she's trying to have this small talk with this strange guy at a, at a, at a well and, and Jesus says, yeah, so what about those five men you used to sleep with? And that guy that you're sleeping with now, but you're not actually married to. Oh, that's a little uncomfortable. (laughs) That's kind of personal, right? Jesus is not messing around. He's come to get into our heart. He's come to get into our life and say, I I want to deal with the real you. I want to deal with you personally. This is not just something where you can, you can go to church and you can pray and, you know, put on a suit and, and putting on a suit's fine, Olaf. That's great. But, uh, you know, or not put on a suit, but you can come to church and you can just say, you know, yeah, I did my thing and Jesus is kinda of out there at arm you know, God's out there at arm's length and he doesn't really know what's going on in in, in my life, and you know, I, I tithe and I I do some good work here and there. But but God and I He doesn't really know what's going on in my heart, and Jesus said, No, I'm gonna go right in there. i I'm here to make this personal. I'm gonna talk to you about your five other relationships and that guy that you're sleeping with that you're not married to. Because I want you to have life. And you're not gonna have life unless you and I have a real close relationship. You know. And He understands her desperate need. That she needs a need met that she's not going to find in any other man. She can go to man 6, man 7, man 8. It doesn't matter. The need that she needs met is in Jesus, not in men. And so God, through Jesus, gets personal with her and teaches her that He can meet that need Or you look at Zacchaeus, This he's traveling through Jericho and there's this little guy Zacchaeus and and, uh, he's a rich guy and he's a tax collector and everybody hates him because he collects taxes on behalf of the Romans and he's a bit of a social outcast and he's short so he climbs a tree to be able to see Jesus and Jesus sees him and Jesus sees his desire to know who Jesus is. And so when Jesus, it says when he reaches in Luke, when he reaches the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately from that tree, I must stay at your house today. And so Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, right? He says, I I need to be with you. I need to have have dinner with you. I need to to eat with you. I need to be in your life because I see the, the need that you have for me and the relationship that you want for me. And so here is Jesus, the God of the universe. He wants to eat dinner with this little tax collector. And of course, the religious people react as you expect, just like before. And it says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, look, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Right, They were just getting on board with Jesus. They were just getting into this idea that there's this rabbi with this great teaching and he's close to God and they were just starting to respect him. And then Jesus says, no, I'm going to go eat with this sinner tax collector, this Zacchaeus guy. I'm going to get up close and personal with this guy that everybody else hates. And they all start to mutter and say, oh, look at him. We thought he was really pure. We thought he was really holy. We thought he was really close to God. But he's hanging out with Zacchaeus. He wants to go sleep at his house and he wants to go eat at his table. Because Jesus came to get make it real, to make it personal with sinners. And then there was the woman who was a sinner. She goes into another dinner party. Jesus at this time in Luke 7, He's actually eating at at the table of a Pharisee. So Jesus ate with the poor and He ate with the sinners and He ate with the religious Pharisees too because He knows that the religious Pharisees needed Him just as much as as the the so-called sinners did. He knew that the Pharisees were just as lost in their law and in their religion and in their ritual keeping as the sinners were lost in their sin. And so Jesus ate with the religious people as well. So He's sitting at this table with the Pharisee and this woman comes in who's a known sinner, which you can imagine what that means. If she's a known sinner in the neighborhood, you can imagine her profession. And so this woman who's a known sinner comes into the party and she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus. And He lets her. He lets her do it. He lets her touch her touch him touch his feet put oil on him and the host is shocked the pharisee of course this religious guy is totally shocked if jesus was really a prophet he says he wouldn't let that woman touch him but jesus came to break exactly that kind of religious hypocrisy that's why he came in the flesh that's why god came in the flesh to break all of that religious hypocrisy to break all of that impersonal rule keeping and law keeping and 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 false sense of purity that's just a, a facade that the Pharisees were putting on. And so we could see that 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 sinners could actually come and see God and touch God and know God and worship God personally as this woman did. She knew exactly who Jesus was. And she showed Him the appropriate worship far beyond what the Pharisees or the scribes knew. And there's not very much more personal than foot washing, is there? I mean, there's like talking about your ex-husbands. That's pretty personal. And then there's foot washing, right? Pulling off the socks and shoes and washing feet but that's jesus coming to make this personal and then of course there's the foot washing that jesus did himself the foot washing of his disciples which we covered a lot more in detail just before easter if you go back and listen to that but whether it was washing feet or being washed or whether it was eating with sinners or whether it was jesus spitting in the mud and then taking the saliva and the and the dirt and the mud and putting it on the man's eyes in order that he would be healed of his blindness or touching lepers or touching the deepest emotional truths and needs of the people that were coming for His teaching, Jesus came to make our relationship with God absolutely and unavoidably personal. Because when the God of the universes enters into human history, then you have to confront Him. You cannot avoid it. And so Jesus has come from the heaven into our flesh, into human history, in order to make this personal, in order to confront us in a way that we cannot avoid. Jesus has come to make it personal. And I'll give you one more quick example, because I, just because I love it, I know I'm running out of time, but I'll give it to you. In John 6, he gives this, or sorry, in Luke 18, he gives this example. Jesus gives this example of between religion and a relationship with God between something that is ceremonial and held off and something that is personal. And he says in Luke 18, he says, to to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, the religious man I'll say, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me a sinner. And I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted." So Jesus spells it out, I've come here to get rid of religion. You know, the poor Pharisees, the poor religious strivers, they are working so hard to be religious, working so hard to earn some sort of privilege, even giving God the privilege for his, even giving God the credit for his ability to be religious. The Pharisee says, God, you did it, you made me this way, I'm giving you the credit, but isn't it great that I'm so religious? that I'm following all your laws and all your rules. But God is not looking for religious performance. God is not looking for a heart that's proud of what we can supposedly achieve for God. He is looking for an honest and a humble heart that is wholly dependent on what God has achieved. Because Christianity is not like any other religion. It's not about our merit. It's not about our achievement. It's about divine accomplishment. It's about what God has already done and has come in the flesh to do through Jesus Christ. And so for us, Jesus came to make this personal. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? To really understand Christianity, to really receive the good news of Jesus, it has to become personal. You have to meet God personally. Alone. And I don't mean culturally. right? A lot of people call themselves Christians. Especially those who grew up in Christians' homes. But they may never have actually met God personally alone. And what I mean is, have you wrestled with God yourself in the night? Have you wrestled with God alone in your own soul and in your own heart? A lot of times we come together and we meet God together in a group kind of like this, right? We meet God in a group and not alone. And we meet God in church or we meet God in our family devotions or discussion. Or we meet God maybe in a campus group at university or something like that. And the group is exciting and there's music and there's teaching and, it, and there's enthusiasm behind it. And, and we're on fire for what's going on in that group. But, we're, but it's the group that is carrying it it's not really our first, per, it's not really our personal encounter with God. And when the group is over, you know, when the group goes away or you leave the group, then is your relationship with God still there? Because when you meet God in a group, you can sometimes have religion overshadow you, but not have a relationship with God penetrate you. And so God doesn't want religion. It's useless to save you. It's not going to cleanse your sins. It's not going to justify you before God. It's not going to earn you any favor. And most critically today, if if you've been trying to have a relationship with God through religion, it hasn't given you an unshakable joy and it has not given you an unalterable peace. Your soul still struggles and your mind still races and your heart is still heavy today because you have religion and you don't have the Gospel. You don't have Jesus Christ. And so for me today, I'm, I'm not overly concerned with what's going on on the surface. What's on in your face right now or what you're doing on the surface. What I see or what I don't see. I'm not concerned with what's going on on the outside on the public. I'm concerned about what's going on with what's on the inside, the same way God is. Inside your hearts and inside your minds. Deciding what to do Deciding to follow Jesus is not about walking down an aisle. It's not about raising your hand. It's not about uh, even praying a certain prayer at one particular time in your life. Faith in God is about what's happening inside of you. It's when you decide to meet Jesus and listen to what he has to say and to lay down your sword of rebellion and end your fighting with him and, and just end your avoiding him and meet with Jesus personally and let him get personal with you and transform you. And you know that that happens. If you want to know how you know that happens. Is that there's a transformation that takes place when you get to know jesus personally this is what happens and and people who know jesus this is what's happening right now in your heart happens every day and and if you haven't known jesus and you're going to know jesus this will start to happen and that's how you'll know you know jesus okay this is what happens it's because christianity will no longer look like religion to you it won't be a religion anymore it won't look silly it won't look just like a bunch of ceremonies and and stuff that people are doing it's not going to look like religion. Jesus is no longer going to be just another historical figure to you like Gandhi or like Muhammad, right? Instead of just being a historical figure that some people know some stuff about, what's going to happen as you get to have a personal relationship with Jesus is He's going to become beautiful to you. And you're going to realize what Jesus accomplished and what He gave up to come from heaven to earth in the flesh. And He came to die on a cross to save you. And all of a sudden, He will become Incomparably and impossibly beautiful to you because you will have a relationship with Him as a person, because He came to make it personal. And Jesus and His Word and the Bible and all of that will suddenly become a treasure to you, right? You'll, you're sit, the Christians here; they all know this, right? You're sitting here today and you're thinking, "I love this. I love this when we talk about Jesus. I love this when we talk about the Bible. The Bible's so awesome. It's just real to me. It's alive to me." And, I, and you're just thinking about all the things that Jesus means to you in your life, and He just becomes this impossibly, incomparably beautiful thing to you. And the Bible becomes a treasure to you, and the Word of God becomes something that you live by, and it's life to you. And you have, and you know you have that life because Jesus is what you want to breathe like the air, and drink like water. And that's not religion. Everything I've just described there, that's not religion. That's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus came. No other religion offers this. Only Christianity says that it's not what we do to appease God, it's what God has already done through Jesus to satisfy and attain everything that we cannot. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We lie awake at night thinking of the ways we fail. We break our own rules, let alone God's rules. But the beauty of the Gospel and the beauty of Jesus coming in the flesh is it's not about what we do to measure up to God. It's about what Jesus has already done. And Jesus literally died to have a personal relationship with you. And so you just open up your heart to Jesus a little bit He'll start to talk to you. And He'll want to have a personal relationship with you. And it'll be uncomfortable. And it'll be awkward. Because it'll be real. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. thank You for the truth of it. thank You for this amazing miracle that You, the God of Heaven, would leave Heaven even though You're perfectly satisfied, perfectly complete, perfect in love, perfect in justice, perfect in righteousness, you would send your Son out of that perfect relationship here to earth to us. That you would literally get into the mud with us in order to rescue us. That you would come down and get caught up in politics and relationships and violence and suffering and sickness. And you would get your hands dirty in all those ways in order for your love to come through to us We could never get from here to heaven. So you came down. So Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for your son Jesus. I thank you for the perfect life he lived that we could not live. I thank you for his perfect sacrifice on the cross. And I thank you for his resurrection. That you raised him from the dead to prove your promise is true. That those who believe in him, that those that look on him, that those who see him as beautiful and trust in him to cover everything that they cannot do and to save them from their sins will be resurrected with Him to be like Him. Lord, You sent Jesus for all those reasons that we looked at. You sent Him to crush the head of the serpent. You sent Him for us to imitate. You sent Him to fulfill the law. You sent Him to be the perfect sacrifice and the complete sacrifice to issue in a new covenant. You sent Him to be the Passover lamb and the scapegoat. Uh, You sent Him to be the rock that was struck and and the life and the living water and the bread. You sent Him for all those reasons. But Lord, Father, You sent Your Son to make it personal. This is not a religion. This is not some scrambling around by us to try to appease You. This is an amazing opportunity that the God of the universe wants to have a personal relationship with us and sent His Son to do so. I just pray, Lord, that the miracle of that incarnation, the miracle of God in the flesh, would be new to us today. And we would love You again and love You even deeper and more than we did maybe when we woke up this morning. Help us carry our love for Jesus forward into the week and with everyone that we meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.